Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from the United States, Brazil, Argentina, Poland, Israel-Palestine, Australia, New Zealand, online, and Nazi Germany. Going to start out with the United States. The Republican Party in the United States is continuing its search for its new Speaker of the House. This person is the leader of the House of Representatives, the lower house of the United States Congress. And their job in the United States Constitution essentially is to be the leader of that branch of the government. After the ouster of Kevin McCarthy, who had been the Speaker of the House for one of the shortest terms ever in the history of the United States Congress, there has been a scramble to find a new Speaker. Without a new Speaker, the House of Representatives is essentially in gridlock, which means that the United States government is in gridlock. The Republicans tried last week to get a potential leader, a guy named Steve Scalise, who is the House Majority Whip, to be the new Speaker of the House. He failed. Now somebody else is trying to get the speakership. His name is Jim Jordan. Now, Jim Jordan has tried but failed, and he might keep trying. These elections and votes are going to be ongoing for the next couple of days. So if this news story has updated after my recording of this podcast on Wednesday the 18th, then, you know, that's just the news. Things to know about Jordan are that Jordan is a key Trump ally and was a major figure on January the 6th on Donald Trump's attempted coup in 2021. Specifically, his role was to be part of the congressional denial of the vote counts from Arizona and other states that Trump claimed he had won, but which he had not won. Jordan was also specifically involved in conversations about how to keep the election from being certified. We know that he was part of those conversations. We also know that he was specifically involved in trying to get Mike Pence to go along with this scheme to not certify the votes from states that Donald Trump didn't want to have accepted. Jim Jordan also posted on social media trying to get people to come to the Capitol building, like specifically stoking the fires, trying to get more people to come to the coup. Now, we just don't know what's going to happen if this guy can't get a majority. It might mean more gridlock for the House of Representatives. It might mean some sort of grand coalition. Who knows? Moving on to Brazil, my stories today are pretty much all about Jair Bolsonaro and his role in his attempted coup on January the 8th of this year. Recently, a congressional inquiry in Brazil about Bolsonaro's attempted coup on January 8th came out with its report. And it specifically says that Bolsonaro was the author of this coup. He was responsible for it. This congressional hearing out of Brazil says Jair Bolsonaro should be charged with four crimes. These crimes are staging a coup, violent abolition of the rule of law, criminal association, i.e. with the people who were involved in storming the capital, and political violence, i.e. the trashing of the Brazilian seats of government. Together, if Bolsonaro is convicted of all of these crimes, he could end up with over 29 years in jail, so almost 30 years in jail. The congressional report also calls for Bolsonaro's allies to be charged with similar crimes, although fewer of them. People who it calls to, you know, charge with these crimes include former generals, current generals of the Brazilian military, and also Bolsonaro's former justice minister, a guy named Torres, uh, who was involved in the coup scheme as well. 
Now, Bolsonaro has said that he intends to defend himself. He thinks that he is not responsible for this coup. He has claimed that the statement is, quote, partial, biased, and politically motivated. That's the congressional report that says that he should be charged with these crimes. Nevertheless, he is engaging with the police when it comes to investigations about these things. He's shown up to the police multiple times, not just this week, but in the past several months, to talk about his relationship with a group of business people who were involved in planning the coup over WhatsApp chats. Specifically, these business people were involved in planning the coup and like trying to get people to show up on buses. Whether Bolsonaro will actually face trial for any of his acts remains unclear, but it's entirely possible that he might actually face trial for some of his crimes. Once again, Brazil absolutely schooling the United States when it comes to dealing with attempted coups by authoritarian right-wing presidents. And speaking of authoritarian right-wing presidents, let's move on to Argentina. Argentina's election, its presidential election, and also a bunch of other federal elections are coming up this Sunday. In the presidential race, this is a three-way race, specifically between a guy named Massa, who is part of the Peronist coalition. Uh, the Peronists are a like agglomeration of left and right-wing populists in Argentina. Massa represents a sort of like center-right version of this Peronism. The other candidate who is a leading candidate is a woman named Bullrich. She represents a neoliberal wing of Argentine politics, specifically the neoliberal wing that won the previous presidency under the previous president of Argentina, Mauricio Macri. And then there is the front runner for this election, a guy named Javier Millet, who I have released a special episode podcast about if you want to catch up on specifically who this figure is. He is a radical, libertarian, free love, anti-abortion advocate, and a member of the Chamber of Deputies, so the equivalent of the House of Representatives in Argentina. He essentially wants to privatize everything in Argentina, eliminate all taxes. He doesn't care about people's sexualities, but he thinks that abortion should be illegal. In other words, he is an actual libertarian. Now, he is the current frontrunner, but this three-way race means that things could break a lot of ways. Like most democracies in the world, Argentina has a two-tier electoral system when it comes to the presidency. If no candidate gets over 45% of the vote, or if a candidate gets about that much, but only won by about 10%, then there is a second round of the presidential election with the top two vote-getters going on to the runoff. And when it comes to that runoff, it really depends on who is a part of it. Right now, it's looking like Millet would probably be one of the members of this runoff, considering that he won a, a sort of open primary. Argentina has an open mandatory primary that comes right before the presidential election, which is sort of like a like a test run to see who's maybe going to win so people can like think about how they're going to vote strategically, right? So Millet won that about a month ago. This means that he's probably going to get the most votes of any of these people. And the real question is, is his opponent going to be Bullrich of the new liberal wing of the country, or is it going to be Massa, who represents the currently governing Peronists? It really remains to be seen exactly how this is going to shake out. It's pretty, pretty astonishing. Moving on to Poland, and speaking of Polish elections, Poland has ousted the Law and Justice Party, which has long ruled that country as a like right-wing coalition. The Law and Justice Party is, as its name suggests, a typical bread-and-butter law-and-order type party. They are opposed to immigration, they cozy up to Putin in some ways, and they are opposed to queer rights. 
Now, the new likely governing coalition of Poland will probably be led by a man named Tusk, who is the former European Council president and also a former prime minister of Poland. This is going to be a big, wide coalition that will probably include multiple political formations. The ouster of the Law and Justice Party is a major blow for Vladimir Putin, who saw them not exactly as an ally, but at least as sort of like somebody that he could talk to and maybe rely on to run some interference in the European Union. It's also a major blow to neighboring authoritarian right-winger Viktor Orban in Hungary, who really relied on this sort of like emerging right-wing coalition in Eastern Europe. Without the Law and Justice Party, Orban's plans and powers might be severely dampened. Moving on to Israel-Palestine, or rather to the effects and widening effects of this war between Israel and Hamas. Once again, I want to remind you, I am not an expert on this part of the world. I highly encourage you to get your news about this particular conflict elsewhere. Speaking of the effects of this conflict, there have been numerous hate crimes and attempted hate crimes all over the world in response to, or at least relating to, this conflict. For example, there was an attempted attack on a synagogue in Germany with Molotov cocktails this week. And there was also a successful attack on a school in France. Both of these were connected to militants who at least claimed identity with Islam and who expressed solidarity with the people of Palestine and with Hamas. Additionally, in the United States, there was a hate crime committed this week, a hate crime and a murder. A child was killed and his mother stabbed nearly to death by their landlord in the United States state of Illinois. The man, the landlord who committed this atrocity, had been wrapped up in a right-wing conspiracy which concerned a so-called, quote-unquote, jihad day, the idea that Muslims in the United States were going to rise up and attack the United States and other people in the country. This day came and went earlier in October, but he was so wrapped up in this conspiracy that he thought that his tenants were going to do something. Again, by his tenants, I mean a, 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 a young woman and her child. He attacked this child and stabbed him to death after stabbing him several dozen times and stabbed his mother several dozen times as well. Moving on to Australia, Australia has voted against the Aboriginal influence vote called The Voice, which would have given Aboriginal people in Australia a sort of space for expressing their opinions and being a, a more permanent part of Australian politics. This defeat is a victory for the right wing in Australia, which opposed the voice referendum, saying that it gave undue representation to people who, in their minds, aren't that oppressed anyway. And finally, in New Zealand, New Zealand has also gotten a new election. This is an episode, it seems, about electoral results, more or less. New Zealand has gotten a new prime minister, a man named Luxon, but he might need some far-right support from New Zealand First, a right-wing New Zealand populist party. Luxon's party, the National Party, is one of New Zealand's two biggest political parties, the other one being the center-left Labour Party. And lastly, moving on to some largely online news, there has been new information recently about active clubs being active on TikTok. Now, active clubs are a new, or at least relatively new within the last couple of years, way that the extreme right wing has been advertising itself. Rather than purporting to be explicit neo-Nazi organizations, active clubs are supposedly martial arts clubs or self-defense clubs, or just like clubs about being a bro and like being a strong guy. 
but they use that as a Trojan horse to get right-wing content in front of the eyes and, you know, into the minds and hearts of young people and specifically young men. Now, these active clubs have been getting a lot more active on TikTok, one of the biggest social media apps for young people and teenagers in the world today. So if you are a young person or a teenager, or if you have a young person or a teenager in your life, please be aware of this danger. A lot of these clubs have had their activity suspended on TikTok after it became apparent, you know, that they were fascists, but that is probably not going to stop them. Finally, I'm going to close out this week, like I do every week, with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing members of history. This week, I'm talking about Friedrich Hjartgensen, a Nazi and a member of the SS. I usually refer to people by their last names, but I confess I am not entirely sure how to pronounce that person's last name, so I'm going to call him Friedrich. Friedrich served at Auschwitz and Schauenhausen, uh, two camps that were located in Poland and Germany, respectively. Friedrich was born in 1905 in Lower Saxony in Germany and joined the SS before the war, the SS being a far-right paramilitary organization within the Nazi party, originally planned as the bodyguards for Adolf Hitler, but they took over the main paramilitary role in the party after the Night of the Long Knives, a major internal purge in the party. Now, Friedrich was part of the SS, specifically the part of the SS that administered the concentration camps and extermination camps in Germany. This part of the organization is called the Totenkopfbrigande. Friedrich started work on a concentration camp called Schassenhausen in 1938, uh, before the war itself and before the existence of the quote-unquote final solution, that is the mass murder program committed by the Nazis. The people at this camp were mostly political prisoners. And they were even some high-profile political prisoners, including the son of Joseph Stalin, the leader of the Soviet Union, Paul Renal, who was the former prime minister of France, and also Francisco Largo Caballero, a former prime minister of the Spanish Republic. These prisoners were not to be executed immediately, but were instead laborers at the nearby Velvesberg Castle, which was supposed to be the headquarters of the SS after the war. Friedrich was transferred from this camp in 1942 and was became the commandant of Birkenau, one of the major camps at the Auschwitz camp system. He was in charge of the main extermination facilities there. But then he was transferred to France in 1944 to run a different camp, which mostly held French resistance fighters. Again, this was mostly a death-by-work camp rather than an extermination camp, although executions were also conducted there. He was finally arrested by the British military after he had been finally again transferred to a different camp in Bavaria, and he was tried by them for some activities that he did as camp commandant in some of his various positions. Specifically, he arrested and killed British spies. He was sentenced by the British to death, but was then extradited to France to face trial for his crimes there as the commandant of the French concentration camp. He received another death sentence in France. But sadly, he died of a heart attack this week in history, the 20th of October, 1954, before he could be hanged in Paris. So, Friedrich Harkinson, I will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. And if you have money to spare, don't use it on my Patreon. 
donate to Médecins Sans Frontières, Doctors Without Borders, or the Red Cross or the Red Crescent. You can check out my email, 15minutesoffascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right, that's H-I-S-T of the right, and fascism15. I'm also on Blue Sky at 15-M-I-N-S-O-F-F-A-S-C. That's 15 Mins of Fash. Thanks very much, and I will talk to you next week.